Grace and peace to you this sixth Sunday of Easter from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I'm Dr. Barry Mullis. I'm the pastor of this congregation, along with our liturgist, the Reverend Megan McLuse, and our director of music and all of our musicians. We welcome you to our service of worship. Before we move into the body of the service, let me call to your attention a couple of particular opportunities upcoming. The first is to note that there will be an Earth Walk to conclude our series on stewardship and the environment that will take place next Sunday at 2 p.m. in the John Hines National Wildlife Refuge. You can find all the details you need for that on our church website. While you're on the website, you'll also find details about the Sojourner Truth Walk, in which our congregation has participated for a number of years. We are looking for folks to sponsor the walk or to serve on our team. You'll find the details for that on our website as well. Join me now, if you will, in our responsive call to worship. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord.
We have been called to follow Christ by obeying his one commandment, that we love one another as he has loved us. Let us confess how we have fallen short of that love. God of love, you made us for love. You reach to us from across our sin to make known to us the depth of your love for us. And yet, despite these profuse declarations, we live as though you did not love us. We live as though we were not created for love. We sin and our hearts are not right within us. Forgive us, we pray. Turn our hearts and change us into the loving disciples you call us to be. We pray this in the name of love incarnate, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ loves us so much that he laid down his life for us and calls us his friends. If we can forgive our friends, how much more does Christ forgive us? Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our gospel lesson is taken from the 15th chapter of John's gospel. We read there from the 9th verse through the 17th. Listen for the word of God. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me now, if you will, in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus' words to us today from John's Gospel put me in mind of a question. What is friendship? Facebook uses the term friends to describe the connections that we have on that platform. Sometimes I think, in some cases, acquaintances may be a more accurate description. A friend of mine wrote this to me recently. He said, I have ambivalent feelings toward Facebook. On the one hand, I get sucked into it often, but then also recognize that offers a rather false sense of connectivity with others, with a limited capacity for actual dialogue. Isn't that the truth? Our sound bites, the way we communicate with one another, seem to be getting shorter and shorter sometimes. Our connections to one another are characterized by terse communications, letters standing in for words, LOL, BRB, TTYL, OMG. Good conversation does seem to be a bit of a dying art at times. But if connections are truly harder and harder to find and to sustain, it leaves me wondering what friendship really is. If Jesus says we are to be his friends, we should know what that means. It's interesting what Aristotle said about friendship. A friend to all, he said, is a friend to none. In his ethics, he claims there are three kinds of friendship. Friendship based on utility, friendship based on pleasure, and friendship based on goodness of character. And what we believe about each of these shapes who we are. But the first two are superficial, but the latter, he says, is essential. When Jesus speaks of friendship and calls his disciples friends, he uses a different metric, though. 
a different marker of friendship. When Jesus speaks of friendship, he speaks instead of love. A rather grander concept, to be sure, and also one much harder to live with. Let me share a quote I read this past week. The legend of Eusebius has it that John, the gospel writer, in his old age had no other theme but love. From the rest of us, the speech of the fourth gospel can descend to the level of a cliché fairly soon. The Johannine flow, so like a Mobius band without beginning or end, can tire the mind, even as it comes from the pen of its creator. As paraphrased by a lesser expositor, it can be unbearable. Love as the basis for friendship is indeed rather vague. And yet there is a lot of love language in John's writings. At times it can seem so grand and large as to leave us nothing solid with which to work. The demands of love are great, and at times they can be vague and even unending. And so the ability to achieve what love's love calls for can indeed tire the mind and become unbearable. It is useful to remember that this passage that we read this morning is part of a much larger teaching discourse in John. So often in John's Gospel, the language becomes metaphorical and at times even allegorical. You, you know what I mean by this, sheep, wolves, hired hands. But in this instance, Jesus does not leave the allegory open for our interpretation, but rather very quickly defines his terms. He is very clear what love for one of one friend for another looks like. Greater love, he says, has no one but to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' definition of love is mixed news for us, though. I'm mightily grateful for the one part where he loves us even unto death. That is, of course, the Christian's great source of joy that Jesus would indeed lay down his life for us, for the salvation of the world. That's wonderful, great, good news. But then having defined his terms, he insists on calling us friends. If we're clear-eyed about the disciples, they are at times noteworthy for their lack of loveliness. Now, I'm not saying they were bad people. They certainly weren't any less lovely than we are. But neither were they more lovable. If Scripture is to be believed, they were as ordinary as we are. There's nothing in the Gospel to indicate that they were particularly deserving of the kind of love that Jesus talks about. And yet, Jesus loves them. Jesus, after all, is the one who starts the friendship with no basis whatsoever in merit. I chose you, he said. But then, 
The emulation of him is what is expected of his friends. In other words, if we are Jesus' friends, it means that we are expected to love the way that he loved. I might find it easier just to be a servant. What about you? Years ago, I was leading a discussion group, and we began listing the ways that are available to us to love the way that Jesus loved. It was a fascinating exercise. In fact, actually, I would recommend it to you. Take a few minutes some day this week. Just turn off your television set, turn off your devices, switch off your radio. This is already starting to sound like a vacation. Leave your phone in the other room and take a blank sheet of paper and write down what, we'll say in the absence of laying down your life, what loving like Jesus actually looks like. Of course, then the obvious point is we have to actually do it. Anyway, this book group and I were engaged in this exercise of theoretical loving, and the results were remarkable. The group started listing things, and it wasn't long before they started sounding an awful lot like Jesus, saying things like, pray for your enemies. This was a big one, because this wasn't so long after some atrocities against Americans abroad when they said that. They liked it, because it gave them something to do in response to terrible things. Another one said, take supper to a sick friend and stay with them. And as we talked about that one, we realized that it started to sound a lot like, give us this day our daily bread. Again, it was a huge hit. People loved the idea of helping a friend who was having a hard time. Then someone came up with this one. Sit quietly and listen to a boring person. It was at that moment that my friend Jane blurted out her timeless poetry. She said, look, I just want to get into heaven. I'm not going for sainthood. Really, servanthood is easier, isn't it? Can't we just stick to that? It demands so much less of us. It's easy to talk about being Jesus' servants. And certainly the Bible does just that. We, we speak of being the servants of the servant, the one who came to serve, at times a suffering servant, of the servant who made God's love known for us, yet again in a way we can understand. There's, there's plenty of servant language in the Bible. And yet here, we get instead... Friendship language. Friendship defined by love. And if we are to be Jesus' friends, then a friendship defined by love is a friendship lived in the emulation of Jesus himself. Our closing hymn today sort of sings its way through the life of Jesus. 
And as we sing it, you may think to yourself, I certainly will, this is a difficult life to emulate. It's easy enough when we're dancing in the morning, but when the sky turns black, it's a whole lot harder to dance. And yet the refrain insists that we share God's love as the experience of joy, indeed, that we dance with it. Jack Gilbert writes poetically, if the locomotive of the Lord runs us down, we should give thanks that the end had magnitude. We must admit there will be music, despite everything. Isn't that wonderful? Music, despite everything. That's the experience of joy, the joy that comes in friendship with Christ, so that even when our worst happens, there is music in spite of everything. The experience of joy, if it's not merely giddy happiness, is fundamentally an experience of trust, because only in the trust of God's love can we experience the kind of liberating joy that comes with friendship with Christ? Only in the trust of God's love would we ever dare to seek to emulate Christ. You know, that is the great challenge for us to be friends, that we must emulate Christ that is so much deeper, so much more than clicking like or unlike or friend or unfriend or, or remembering at least to wish someone a happy birthday or happy anniversary. No, the, the experience of, of friendship is fundamentally, in, in the Christian sense, the experience of love. Love is both the definition and the call of Christian community. And if we think that through to its logical conclusion, I suppose it is akin to being run down by the locomotive of the Lord. Uh, basically, to steal a line from the Apostle Paul, we die to the old and are born to the new when we are initiated into Christian friendship. It means that something changes within us when Jesus invites us into friendship with him. Uh, this, is, this is purely anecdotal and entirely unscientific, but I think there was a time when we fretted more over our friendships. Perhaps I'm wrong, but it seems now sometimes that it's easier simply to live and let live. I know I do a lot of the time. Some days it might even be the best I can muster. But the truth of, of Christian friendship, the truth of Christian joy defined by, Christian, by friendship with Christ is that it does demand sainthood from you and me. Because what is sainthood but the emulation of Jesus Christ. In Thomas Akempis's classic of the imitation of Christ, he admonishes us, without a friend thou canst not well live, and if Jesus be not above all a friend to thee, thou shalt indeed be sad and desolate. Good wisdom, timeless wisdom. But I was struck particularly by what he wrote next, 
Thou actest therefore like an idiot if thou trust or rejoice in any other. There was indeed time when Christians would turn aside from the communion rail if we had any grudge or error outstanding against another. Again, returning to the Apostle Paul, he admonished us, if that were the case, to go from the table, to make amends, and then return together with our community, restore the expectations of friendship were deep, enduring, and perhaps even costly. But in spite of this all, friendship with Christ, we read, is the source of great joy. It is indeed the invitation to abide in the joy of Jesus Christ. And that really, fundamentally, is what we receive in community. That's what we share with one another. And that's why church membership isn't like joining the cricket club or Rotary. We make commitments to one another, commitments that we are going to walk alongside each other because Jesus is walking alongside us. Love requires more than just good feelings. To love like Christ requires courage. Not just the courage of someone under fire who defies fear to act without interest to their own safety, but moral courage. What is the moral courage required for friendship? Tom Long tells it this way. I once met a woman, a Presbyterian woman, in the cold country of Pennsylvania who had made the social misstep of becoming engaged to a Catholic in the early 1930s, a time of hardened Protestant boundaries. Her community turned its back on her. Conversations ended when she approached people. She would never forget, she said, the Sunday when a respected woman in her congregation, in bold defiance of prevailing attitudes, publicly embraced her and wished her every blessing of God on her and her marriage. It was a small act of courage, but one cherished nearly 60 years later. I cannot say for you what will be required of you in the course of your friendship with Jesus. It may at times be easier to remain a servant. I don't know whether you will be asked to lay down your life for your friends. For most of us, we are fortunate to be able to say that seems unlikely under the circumstances of our lives. Honestly, for prosperous American Christians, most of the time, it is so easy for us to be Christian. I know I've shared one of my favorite New Yorker cartoons with you, where a bespectacled plutocrat and his bejeweled, fur-wearing wife are shaking hands with their pastor, and as they step into their limousine, she turns and remarks to him, you know, it can't be easy for him not to offend us. I just want to get in. I'm not going for sainthood. Perhaps we don't ask enough of each other. Perhaps you want more. Perhaps what you hunger for isn't servanthood.
but truly friendship. Perhaps the ease of clicking on a worship link, which has become the equivalent of sliding into church on Sunday morning and sliding back out just as easily, feels a little formulaic some days. Oh, sure, the music and the sermon perhaps move you, but something's missing. You see, Jesus knew that worship without action won't feed us spiritually for very long. Jesus needs folks with moral courage. The dance of faith calls for moral courage, for the imitation of Christ, for eschewing worship without discipleship. Those can be a lot of dance steps to keep straight. Thankfully, we aren't the ones leading. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us together confess our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us show our friendship with Christ and our love for our neighbors by giving generously so that we may bear the lasting fruit of Christ's love.
Let us pray. We sing for joy, O God, for you are coming to judge the world with righteousness and fairness between nations and between people. We pray for the poor and the desperate, as well as for those who abuse and oppress them, both here and abroad. Comfort those who suffer and chasten those who cause their suffering, that your justice may be known in all the earth. We pray for families, communities, and nations torn apart by violence, and lift up all people and communities touched by gun violence. Heal the broken places and imbue your earth with peace. We pray for the sick and the dying, for the places where COVID is rampaging, for those who are friendless and lonely, for those living with grief or depression. Bring them your friendship and renew their joy. We pray for ourselves, your church, that we may bear fruit of peace, hope, and love, fruit that will last. Now, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our friend, and in the Holy Spirit poured out on us, we sing a new song to praise you for all the things that you are doing. Here, these are prayers, along with the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Notice this about the text. Jesus doesn't really ask if we want to be friends. He says we are. He chooses for us, just like he chose for the disciples. Yet again, in the life of discipleship, Jesus has already done all the heavy lifting. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.